The Big 12 presidents are gathering on Thursday to discuss bringing Gonzaga in as a basketball-only member, and the Pac-12 is getting a little anxious about it. You are Locked on Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to bring you news and updates on all things Zag athletics. Today's episode of Locked On Zags is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook of the Locked On Podcast Network. Make every moment more by visiting fanduel.com slash locked on today to get started. All right, happy Thursday, happy February for those of you just getting into the Zag show here in February. We're talking Gonzaga Big 12 because there is an update on the constant, ever-changing conference realignment story. Uh, We're also going to talk about the women's basketball team and their underappreciation by the NCAA tournament bracketologists. We're going to close out the show, talk about Cordy Vandersloot leaving the Chicago sky, what it means for her, what it means for the WNBA at large. We got to start the conversation today, though, talking Big 12, the most dynamic, exciting conference in all of college basketball, and they are looking to get even more exciting. They have been talking to Gonzaga about potentially having them join as a basketball-only conference. This is a monumental move for the Gonzaga Bulldogs if it were to happen. Of course, you as Zags fans probably don't need me to explain that to you. Of course, Gonzaga has been in and out of conversations regarding conference realignment for at least a decade. Uh, They had conversations, very serious conversations with the Mountain West back in 2018 to the point where the Mountain West voted unanimously to invite Gonzaga into the conference. The WCC then stepped up and made some concessions regarding some of the asks that Gonzaga had of the conference. And that allowed them to stay in the conference until up until this point. Now, the stakes are a little bit higher. It's it's a little bit different that the WCC can convince Gonzaga to stay when the alternative is the Mountain West. When the alternative is literally the best basketball conference in college basketball. I, to be clear about how good the Big 12 is, at points this season, I, I'm not sure quite up to date, but very recently, nine of the 10 schools in the Big 12 were in the top 40 in Ken Palm. Top 40. Top 40. WCC has two, Gonzaga and St. Mary's. And look, you know me. If you've been a listener to the show for a long time, even if you've been a listener to the show for not that long of a time, I am a WCC defender. I love this conference. I really do. I I think that there are some sleeping giants in this conference, potentially in San Francisco, in Santa Clara. Uh, We're seeing it to an extent with Portland. We're seeing some other programs start to develop. But there is just absolutely no debate here that Gonzaga joining the Big 12, they're going to play really, really really good basketball teams every single game in conference. This conversation stemmed out of an article. I want to make sure I give a shout out here to Dennis Dodd at CBS. Really nice article on the topic, talking all things Gonzaga, talking about this movement. So the Big 12 meeting on Thursday with the presidents, they are going to discuss Gonzaga as a potential basketball only member. This is happening. This conversation is happening very, very soon. Uh, Of course, Gonzaga has a deal with ESPN and CBS that runs through the 2026-2027 season. So that is kind of a, a factor as well. Basketball only brings in about 20% of the overall revenue to these big Power 5 conferences. Uh, But Brett Yormack, the the commissioner of the Big 12, he likes being innovative. 
He likes doing things a little bit differently. He knows that his product right now, especially with Texas and Oklahoma moving to the SEC, his product is about basketball right now. You have Kansas. You have Baylor. You have TCU. You have Iowa State. You have Kansas State. Like You have this monstrous basketball conference. You have Houston coming in next year. That's a huge addition to be joining the Big 12 in terms of the basketball the quality of the basketball on the court. They're already fantastic. Houston, one of the top five teams in the country. They've been number one for many, many weeks this year. So getting that team added in is, is monstrous. And look, the presidents of the Big 12 Conference have already heard a presentation about Gonzaga joining. This is not completely foreign or new to them. They have heard this presentation. The report, according again to Dennis Dodd at CBS, is that the conversation they previously heard did not include financials. So at this point, they have heard a presentation, they have heard a pitch, they have heard some information, but they haven't heard the specific financial details. That is obviously going to be what, what causes this conversation to whether end up dead in the water or to proceed. The expectation is that Endeavor, which is the financial consultant company that the Big 12 has hired, is doing research and is going to present potentially as soon as today, maybe happening as you're listening to this conversation here on Locked on Zags, they're going to have a conversation including those financials. There has been speculation, and I want to be clear that this is speculation, but two of Gonzaga's games this year may have been used as opportunities to gather some information for the Big 12, namely Gonzaga's pay-per-view exhibition game against Tennessee. Tennessee, as you all likely know, is not a Big 12 program, but the game was played in Texas, Texas, where many Big 12 programs do exist, and you can gather information. Who bought this event? Who spent $9.99 on a pay-per-view game to watch the Zags play, and where do they live? We know we live in a society where all of our information is out there and available. If this company or anybody in the Big 12 was able to gather data and point to, hey, there are a whole bunch of people in Texas, a whole bunch of people in Oklahoma, a whole bunch of people in, in whatever geographical area that they're concerned about that are buying access to this game, that want to watch it. Yeah, maybe some of them are Tennessee fans, but maybe a lot of them are really interested in watching the Zags. And then, of course, you have a more direct example, which is Gonzaga playing Baylor December 2nd, Sioux Falls, South Dakota at the Sanford Pentagon. That game was on Peacock. And part of the reason for that decision was, of course, to allow the student athletes to make money off name, image and likeness. It was an NIL opportunity for every student athlete on each team, an exciting opportunity for guys who who aren't getting a lot of other NIL opportunities. However, same situation. You can see who was able to put whether it was a seven-day trial, whether it was somebody who didn't previously have Peacock, whatever it may be, you can use that to data mine. You can use that to gather information. If Endeavor has gone out there and started gathering information about who is buying access to Gonzaga basketball games, where they are located, that's pretty valuable information for the Big 12 to have, don't you think? So it's a theory. It's not proven, but it makes some sense that Gonzaga and, and other interested parties here, the Big 12, Endeavor, this financial company, are out there looking for information, looking for ways to be able to potentially prove, hey, this is a program that is sustainable for us from a financial perspective. Basketball is not bringing in the kind of revenue that football is. We know that. They know that. Everybody knows that. It's not a secret. But they are bringing in revenue. Chris Stanford said in December, the athletics director for Gonzaga, he said, we underappreciate the value of our brand nationally. That's a direct quote that he said in December, likely after they were getting some of this data, some of this information. So they have been given information that basically concludes, oh, our brand is really, really valuable. There's a lot of money to be had here. And they're not getting it in the WCC. The WCC is pretty tight-lipped 
about how much money these individual programs are making. What we know is that Gonzaga has made about 70% of the WCC's money that they have made from the NCAA tournament over the last 20 years, dating back to 1999. It's a convenient sample size uh, for Gonzaga, at least. But Gonzaga's made 70% of their money. They go to the Big 12. They're going to make a lot less than that. But guess what? There's a lot more money to go around. A lot more money to go around. Somebody said it's an industry insider. They said this to Dennis Dodd uh, at CBS. They said there's absolutely no way Gonzaga won't make significantly more money in the Big 12 than the WCC. And that's what this is about. Like it or love it or hate it, whatever it may be, that's what this conversation is about. If Gonzaga finds out that they can make a lot more money going to the Big 12, even as a basketball-only addition to the Big 12, they're going to do that. Now, part of the conversation, a big part of the conversation is what does this mean for Gonzaga's non-revenue generating sports? Does baseball go to the Big 12? Does soccer go to the Big 12? How about tennis? How about rowing? How about et cetera, et cetera? It'll be interesting to see how that maybe shakes out because the WCC does not want to keep these schools if they are not going to get basketball. They have not confirmed this, but there's not really any compelling reason why they would to be perfectly honest. So that's a huge caveat that needs to be figured out. If Gonzaga is going to bring baseball and other programs into the Big 12, that's going to cost them money. Is it going to cost them more money than they're going to make? That's the conversation they need to have. That's the spot that they need to kind of be at and figure it out. Dodd also goes on to talk about the Pac-12, and I'll cover this quickly here. Uh, The Pac-12 can't even agree on a media deal. (laughs) They're trying. They just had a meeting on Monday. Did not end that meeting coming to an agreement on a media deal. Their current media deal expires in July of 2024. This is really late to still be negotiating a media deal. There was anonymous quotes in the article saying that the Pac-12 ADs, they're not worried. They're not in the panic mode yet. But when you start talking about how, hey, we're not in panic mode yet, it means you're getting there. It means you're getting kind of close to being in panic mode. And if you're Brett Yormack and you're like, well, I kind of want Utah and I kind of want Colorado and maybe I kind of want the Arizona schools too, you're going to start kind of needling a little bit on that, especially if if these ADs are starting to get a little nervous of, hey, we don't even have a deal yet. Gonzaga is a piece of that puzzle. Pac-12 hasn't showed a lot of interest in Gonzaga, but they might pivot if they start to get real worried that they're going to lose some of their other programs. That might be something that that starts to get some conversation there. So something to keep an eye on, absolutely. I think the Big 12 is more likely here. I think there's a reasonable chance that we'll hear not an official announcement, certainly, but at least some level of of conversation about the Gonzaga Big 12 rumors in the near future. And it's something to to really keep an eye on because this could be a a seismic change, uh, not just for Gonzaga, but really for, for college basketball on the whole. Uh, in the near future. All right, well, Gonzaga, Gonzaga's women's basketball program could definitely use some help by being in a better conference as they are dominating, and I mean dominating, the WCC, but they are not getting any respect in the women's basketball bracketology reports. More on that after a word from today's sponsor, FanDuel. The NFL playoffs are here, and we are so excited about our new sports betting partner for Locked On because they're the number one sports book in America, and that is FanDuel. If you're new to FanDuel, that's even better because they have so many great features that make betting on sports fun and easy. New customers join today to get started with $150 in free bets guaranteed when you place your first $5 bet. Just sign up at FanDuel.com slash locked on. FanDuel has all your favorite bets from the money line to point spreads to player props. Plus, you can even combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with a same game parlay. Maybe you like Gonzaga's odds to beat the spread on the road against Santa Clara on Thursday, or maybe you like St. Mary's to keep it up against USF. Either way, bet comfortably on an app that's safe, secure, and super easy to use. So basketball fans, don't miss out. Place your first $5 bet to get $150 in free bets 
win or lose, at FanDuel.com slash locked on. Make every moment more with FanDuel, the official sportsbook partner of the NFL. All right, segment two, Stanley Patton still locked on Zags, and we're switching over to talk about the Gonzaga women's basketball program, who are straight up absolutely dominating this season here for Coach Lisa Fortier, 21-2 and two on the year as we're having this conversation a few hours before they tip off on the road against the Santa Clara Broncos. Uh, they're absolutely dominating, absolutely dominating WCC play, 11-0, on the year for the Lady Zags. Again, they got Santa Clara on Thursday. They beat them by 17 at home the last time they played them. So this is a team that they have handled quite easily. Uh, They got San Francisco on Saturday, another team that they beat by double digits already this season. Uh, The women's team, again, only has two losses on the year, and those two losses are to Stanford. Not exactly an upsetting loss. They they got beat pretty badly, and normally they keep it fairly close against the Cardinal, but it was still not, not, not exactly a team you feel too bad about losing to their number seat, number one seed, almost certainly one of the best teams in all of college basketball. Their other losses to Marquette. Marquette has kind of slipped a little bit. Uh, the most recent bracketology report has them being a team in a play-in game. So borderline NCAA tournament team for Marquette, but those are your only two losses. That's it. Meanwhile, you have a win over Tennessee, who was ranked at the time. They think they were 23rd. They have struggled this year since then. They have a win over Louisville, who is sixth, in the entire country at the time. That win has also not aged exceptionally well, but regardless, two really, really nice wins, no bad losses, pretty much no losses at all, uh, completely dominating in the WCC. And guess what? The latest bracketology report, which came out just a few days ago, still has the Zags as a six seed. And here's the kicker. Here is the kicker. They are a six seed playing in South Bend, Indiana, against number 11 seeded South Dakota State. Yes, South Dakota is closer to South Bend, Indiana. I'm not that worried about that. But the problem, the problem is that the second round game would be against the number three seed, assuming they advance. That's Notre Dame. I don't really want to play Notre Dame in the second round in South Bend, Indiana. That seems like a bit of a bummer to have to do that. Now, this is not uncommon uh, in women's basketball for teams to get seated in or around the location that they play in. Gonzaga has faced this before. Gonzaga has also been an underseeded team playing at home in the McCarthy Athletic Center in an NCAA tournament. So, you know, what goes around comes around a little bit. But Gonzaga faced this last year in a second round game against Louisville in Louisville. Now... There's a potential. Again, we're talking about what the bracket looks like on the last day of January, the first day of February. So there's still plenty of time for things to change. Uh, but Gonzaga's a six seed. They're a six seed right now. That feels a little low for a team that's 21 and two, that's 11 and 0 in the WCC. And part of the reason for that is pretty simple the WCC is bad this year. And, you know, we know that mid major programs, mid major conferences don't get a ton of respect. I mean, look at St. Mary's. Look at St. on the men's side, St. Mary's right now is top 10 team in most advanced analytic metrics, barely is ranked in the AP poll. But even though they are ranked in the AP poll, they're still getting like seven seeds in some of the NCAA tournament predictions. So it's hard. It's hard when you're in a mid-major conference. And for the women's basketball program, the WCC, when BYU is is down, when Portland is not as good as they've been in the past, it's kind of hurting the women's program. And it's unfortunate because this is this team is good enough to be a four seed. They're good enough to be at the least a five seed. And yet they're getting draws right now that project them as a six seed in South Bend, where they would play basically a home or a, a true road game against a higher seeded team in the second round. That kind of sucks. There's not really any other way to look at it. That's kind of a bummer for them. 
Uh, this team is really fun, though, and quite frankly, has the ability to pull an upset over just about anybody that they play, in my mind, uh, because they shoot the absolute crap out of the ball from beyond the arc. You, that helps so much to be able to do that. As a team, women's basketball program is shooting 40.6% from deep as we're recording this before they play Santa Clara on Thursday. 40% from deep as a team. Brenda Maxwell, the transfer from the University of Utah, a veteran player, fourth year in college from Gig Harbor, Washington, former guest of the Locked On Zags podcast as well. She's shooting 51.6% on the season. That is just obscene. Absolutely ridiculous. 50 plus percent from deep. She is a pure sharpshooter. One of the greatest pure shooters Gonzaga has ever had. An absolute light it up from beyond the arc shooter. Eliza Hollingsworth uh, has been a huge role player for the women's program as well. She's shooting 44 and a half percent from deep on the year. And then, of course, you have the Trung twins, Kaylee and Kaylin, shooting 40 percent and 38.7 percent, respectively. A really, really nice shooting team. And then you have a bunch of shooters on the perimeter. What that does is it creates more space down low for the bigs to operate. And boy, howdy, has that been working just fine for the women's basketball program. Vani Ejim, she's the best player in the conference. There was the expectation that she would kind of follow the Melody Kempton path, where Melody Kempton two years ago was the sixth woman of the year. Uh, next, The next year, she was all WCC performer as she stepped into a starting role. Meanwhile, Vani came off the bench, was the sixth woman of the year. Kempton left, and it kind of just looked like, hey, we're going we're gonna to do the same plan. We're going to have you step out of that role as a sixth woman, step into a starting role, and eventually become one of, if not the best player in the conference. And here we are again, as we're recording this February 2nd, Bonnie Ejim, 16 and a half points per game, eight boards. She's shooting 54% from the field, best player in the conference, best player on the best team. Fantastic season for Bonnie Ejim. Now the main question is what more can Gonzaga do? How much can they even move up on the seed line? They may not lose again. They may not lose again. They may win the rest of their games in the WCC. There's very little. They're going to be favored in every game here on out. It doesn't mean they're going to win them all, but they're going to be favored in every game they play from here on out. They might just sweep straight through the WCC tournament. And what happens then? What happens if they're 31-2 and two or 32-2? and two? I apologize. I don't know exactly how many games they'll have left, but what happens if that's the case? Is the farthest they can move up a four seed? Are they even going to get a four seed? Is that still too low? It's just one of those things where, you know, the quality of play, there's not as much advanced analytics. There's not as much, you know, Ken Palm, Torvik, net. Like there is the net rankings, but like they're not tracking this stuff as much for teams one through 363 on the women's basketball side. So it's a little bit harder to know where Gonzaga's women's basketball program necessarily stands against the rest of the teams in the NCAA. We know when they've played really good high-level teams that they've won for the most part. We also know that they lost to Marquette the day after they beat Tennessee. They lost by four to a team that is still a pretty quality program. I think punishing the Zags too much for one loss to a Big East school in Marquette seems a little bit silly. Punishing them for losing to Stanford, the best team in the country, or second-best team in the country, feels a little bit silly as well. So we'll see if the brackets catch up with the women's basketball program and kind of what that might end up looking like. But this is a team that probably deserves to be a three or a four seed in the NCAA tournament. And it seems like it's trending towards them not getting the respect that they deserve when March Madness rolls around. Speaking of Gonzaga's women's basketball team and speaking of Seattle, where the women's basketball team could be seeded uh, if things were to shake out their way, WNBA legend Courtney Vandersloot made it clear that she is not returning to Chicago next year to play with the sky. Could a storm be brewing more on that right after this?
All right, segment three, still any patents, still locked on Zags. We're still talking Gonzaga women's basketball, not talking about the current team, however, talking about their greatest alumni in program history. That is, of course, WNBA superstar Courtney Vandersloot. Courtney Vandersloot announced on Instagram she penned a goodbye to the city of Chicago and to the Chicago Sky franchise, the first and only team that she has ever played with as a WNBA player. She was a third overall pick in the 2011 WNBA draft by the Sky, has been there ever since. She is now, of course, a free agent. Decided to make the announcement as soon as free agency opened, like, hey, I'm not coming back. Not a huge surprise. Candace Parker moved on. Uh, Allie Quigley, Courtney Vandersloot's wife, announced that she is also not going to play in the WNBA at all next season. It is unclear if that means that she is planning to continue her professional playing career, perhaps overseas, perhaps in the non-WNBA season, which is when most of the overseas basketball happens. Uh, but regardless, with no Candace Parker in Chicago, with no Ali Quigley in Chicago, Courtney Vandersloot has decided to make it official that she is also not going to play in Chicago next year. As we're recording this, Courtney has not made an announcement as to where she is going to play next year. It could happen any time. It could happen very, very soon. It could happen by the time you are listening to this. The rumors are that it is going to be one of two places, either New York or Seattle. New York, she would be aligning with an already super team that exists between Brianna Stewart, who left Seattle to go play for New York, Sabrina Ionescu, who is already in New York, of course, a absolute legend at the University of Oregon, played under coach Kelly Graves, the same coach who coached Courtney at Gonzaga, uh, John Kel Jones, former WNBA MVP as well. So Jones, Ionescu, Stewart, already in New York with the Liberty, adding Courtney Vandersloot makes a super team even more super, uh, absolutely fantastic squad in New York if that's where she chooses to go. But Seattle's going to come calling too. And Seattle already lost Sue Bird most iconic women's basketball player in school his or in program history one of the most iconic women's basketball players in basketball history uh, an absolute legend and the all-time WNBA assist leader Courtney is chasing Sue Bird to become the all-time WNBA assist leader it would be pretty poetic if she were able to finish that journey and finish that quest to move into first place on the same team that Sue Bird did it with uh, in Seattle beyond that Courtney's from the Seattle area, so of course the opportunity to go home, to play closer to family, closer to friends, uh, to kind of settle back into a, to you know a place that she's familiar, a place that she's comfortable, closer to her her college town as well. Hard not to see the appeal there. The Storm, of course, are desperate. They lost Sue Bird, they lost Bri in January, and they lost Brianna Stewart. Tremendous trio of players to lose all guards Stewart's kind of a, a forward hybrid but regardless high level players high impact players all out of the program and for Seattle the opportunity to get Sloot to come back and play in her home state uh, play in front of fans that are familiar with her and her game and, and and help this program kind of not fall down into mediocrity they still have Jewel Lloyd she's fantastic Lloyd and Sloot is enough to keep this team relevant to keep this team solid uh, Courtney's uh, if she were to join Seattle would probably be enough to help potentially bring some other high-level free agents, whoever uh, is left. A lot of free agents have already signed in the WNBA, but whichever free agents are still available uh, could potentially join Seattle as well and, and help keep that team uh, relevant uh, in Seattle. Again, Courtney, incredible career in Chicago. Uh, it was a, a kind of a heartfelt, emotional message that she sent to the city, uh, and for good reason. Again, drafted there in 2011. Uh, she got the third most assists in WNBA history, all as a member of the Chicago Sky. She's a four-time WNBA All-Star, and she led the team to a championship. 2021, 
WNBA champions with Allie Quigley, her wife, with Candace Parker. The, the trio of them helped helped lead this team to a championship. Emma Meesman was fantastic for that team. Former Oregon guard Ruthie Hebbard coming off the bench. Fantastic team. Fantastic win to move. I think they were a sixth seed in the playoffs, went all the way to the WNBA championship and won it all. A lasting legacy for Courtney Vandersloot. We'll talk more about her on a future episode of Locked on Zags, but wanted to give her a shout out, wanted to shout out her and tremendous career in Chicago. And uh, we'll see where she ends up. If she ends up in Seattle, I can tell you right now that there's going to be some meetups. There's going to be some trips. We're going to go to Seattle. We're going to watch Courtney Vandersloot play, play for the storm and hopefully get a chance to, to meet some Seattle area Gonzaga fans. Cause I think that'd be a really, really fun opportunity. All right, that is going to do it for me today. We got plenty more reaction to Gonzaga's evening game against Santa Clara on Friday. More previewing of their weekend game, their big game in Moraga, California against the Gales of St. Mary's. And of course, Mailbag Monday coming next week. So don't forget to check out the show on iTunes, leave a review, go to YouTube channel, hit that subscribe button if you haven't done so yet, and check out the new Locked On College Basketball podcast. It is free and available wherever you get your podcasts, and it is up on YouTube as well. All right, thank you all for listening, and go Zags.